0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another weekly episode of Limitless Podcast, a place where we bring together global leaders in sales and marketing. My name is Sanjana and I'm the host of Limitless Podcast. Today's episode is a webinar replay from our Limitless webinar series. We hosted Sangram Vajray to talk about how to lead like a modern CMO. And this episode is a replay of our webinar with Sangram. We host two to three webinars every month with world-class sales and marketing influencers. We have hosted Jeb Blunt, John Barrows, Morgan Ingram, Nancy Narden, Tibur Shanto, to name a few. I have a pretty big list of who was featured on our webinar. If you want to check out our complete webinar series, I've given the link in the description. Please do check it out. All right, so today's episode is about how to lead like a modern CMO by Sangram Vajray. He'll be walking us through what keeps CMOs up at night, and all about category creation and ABM. Are you excited to tune in? Well, I'm really excited. Let's hear it from Sangram Vajray. Thank you so much for joining in today, Sangram. We are so excited to host you today.
1: Uh, Really, thank you for for having me and look forward to spirited conversation on marketing, sales, and all the above.
0: Yeah, so I have a lot of questions to ask you today. Uh, I have in fact collected questions from our webinar registrants as well. Uh, So can I start asking them one by one? Go for it. Okay, so uh, you have done over 550 episodes on your Flip My Funnel podcast, right? And I'm sure uh, you have spoken to a lot of uh, CMOs. So there are a couple of things I want to ask first, okay? So what keeps CMO up at night or what keeps you up at night having been a CMO yourself? Okay, so this is my first question. And the second question that I have for you is, what does it take to become a CMO? or You know, to be specific, what does it take to become a modern CMO?
1: Wow, well, let's just take one at a time. So the the first one, uh, what keeps CMOs at night? I feel like majority of the CMOs that I know, they never talk to a customer.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And the fear, a lot of times they feel is that they don't know what really matters to their customers. So what happens at the majority of the organization, and that's when we'll go into the modern CMO, which is different. But in majority of the organizations, CMOs are creating the standard process and program around saying, all right, we're gonna create um, um, like two webinars a month, an ebook a month, a, yeah. um, a, a set of content, product marketing, data sheets, all those different things but they're actually not thinking about like, what do our customers really want?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And there's a big gap there
0: yeah. and
1: the reason they're doing what they're doing right now, just to create volume of leads and volume of activity because that's what they're measured on. Mm-hmm. So what keeps most CMOs who are not thinking about this, keeps them up at night is like, I don't know what my customer really wants. I'm gonna just, Put stuff on the uh, on the whiteboard and just spaghetti all over the place because you they just don't know and it's a really uh, big challenge for a lot of organizations and yeah. that's why Forrester research that that less than one percent of the leads turn into mm-hmm. customers, so mm-hmm. the data is supporting that the leads that most companies drive don't drive actual revenue. Mm-hmm. That's I think most most I think CMOs they're just not talking enough now modern than CMO. The, mm. the people that I'm feeling more and more with the people that we have interviewed on the podcast, like Megan Eisenberg from Trip Actions or mm. Joe Chernoff, who just became the CMO of Pendo, uh, like Kyle Lacey, who is uh, the CMO of Lesson Lee yeah. or uh, Ryan, all these or G2 crowds, all these people, they're looking at it very differently. They are in with the customer. They are actually having conversations on. LinkedIn or other places and engaging with them, they're having, I know some of these CMOs, they're having at least two to three customer calls. They're listening to the onboarding call. They're listening to the sales call. They're not just sitting in their office in Ivory Tower and trying to say, hey, let's just do that. They actually are very close to the customer. So if you are trying to be a CMO, to to answer your second question, I I think one of the things you need to know is that, do you really understand your customer? And if you don't, then are you going to take the time on a regular basis, not the first 30 days we learn everything and then we just mark it as usual, but actually take the time as a regular thing. So one of the things I try to do is that every week I'll at least be or attend or listen to one sales call and one onboarding. That is something I've done for years. Um, I, I, I highly recommend people to do that because when you do that, you're the, the CS team, your customer success team and your sales team are the closest to the customers. And if you're not listening into those calls, even if you don't do anything, if you don't listen to it, you don't know and you can't empathize with your customer and see right. what the problem is and have ideas around that. So modern CMO, I think, is someone who is really empathetic to the customer and they just don't say that, they actually do it.
0: All right. So to, to summarize what you said, so to be a modern CMO, you have to talk to your customers every day and it's only then you'll be able to empathize with them. Right. Yeah. So I mean, and, and, and,
1: yeah. And, and that's not necessarily mean you're on a call every single day. That okay. just means that you are engaged, let's say on a LinkedIn yeah. thread. That yeah. means like a lot of what I do is I'll ask a question and see yeah. what people are talking about. That might mean listening to an onboarding call. That might mean doing a workshop with, a, with your sales team. It's a doing something every day where it actually has some sort of connection with the customer okay. because it's, So easy. So easy to lose that. So easy to get off the rails and be just talking about programs and strategies and not actually know what our customers really want. It's a really deadly
0: trap. Rightly said, Sangra. So uh, traditionally, marketing is often measured by uh, the number of leads generated. So do you think uh, the number of leads is still the right metric to be measured? So what are the key metrics a CMO should track?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. One of the things that I'm on my soapbox lately has been the fact that leads are probably the worst type of vanity metrics that marketing can can track. And we talked about that stat from Forrester, which clearly said that well, less than. More. So so imagine having this conversation. Everybody just just imagine this. You are walking into your CEO and CFO's office and saying to them, Hey, only one percent of what I do actually drives business. Do you want to give me more money? Like. It's ludicrous, right? So so it doesn't make sense. So, the, and, and nobody's having this level of conversation. We hide behind the MQL, SQL, and, and we talk. But if you really look at number of leads to actual results, the gap is so wide that it will swallow you if you really go and show it to your CEO. You'll be fired if you actually go back. So I don't think leads is actually the right metric. And and the reason it's getting asked and talked about is because that's what we put on our board decks. That's what we yeah. represent. And I did that when I was at Pardot. I did that. I showed leads. I showed showed traffic to the website. I'm just thinking about that deck. I showed all the number of people who attended my webinar and registrations, all these things. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Reality, if you're in B2B, and I'm assuming a lot of the people listening to this are in B2B, B2B you got to know your total addressable market. Mm
0: -hmm. So
1: the questions I would ask is, how many of the deals that your sales team are working on how many of the leads are coming for those accounts that they need to close that month or that quarter. Mm -hmm. If there's one homework that I can give right off the bat, like right now is that just go and look at your deals that are in pipeline for this quarter Mm -hmm. and look at, let's say there are 50 accounts that are in your pipeline and find out if you can generate more leads. If lead is the metric, more leads in those accounts for your sales team to close or give them air cover in some way possible to them. If you're not doing that, we are literally not in, even on the same level field when it comes to sales and marketing. So I feel leads, quite honestly, is probably the worst type of leading indicator of success. It's a false positive.
0: All right. Uh, and also, you say uh, CMOs should act like CEOs, right? So that is an interesting proposition. So could you please elaborate on that?
1: Yeah. I mean, as a matter of fact, we just hired my mentor and boss from exact target who was a CMO of exact target for six years, went through the IPO, went to all that. We just hired him and he's now the CEO of terminus. So it's right. literally happening right now. So Tim yeah. Kopp is the CEO of terminus and it's, it's like it literally is happening everywhere. But in general, what it means is not to just go and try to be a CEO, mm-hmm. but act and operate as a CEO. And when you think about what CEOs do, CEOs will look at their organization and saying, all right. These are the things that I need to focus on. They need predictable stuff in their business. If they don't have predictability, they're not going to be in that position too long. Uh, board will let them go. So they're looking for how do we create and predict certain things. Then the second thing is, they take full ownership of what to say yes to and what to say no to.
0: Okay. Most
1: marketing is a is a yes team for the most part because. They don't know what they're measuring and that's and a lot of it is not driving revenue. So a lot of times what happens in marketing organizations is they just go and say, okay, yeah, we'll do a webinar, we'll do an ebook, we'll, we'll do that, we'll do that. They don't know how to prioritize because the picture of success is not very clear. So if leads is your picture of success, then you will do whatever it takes to do that. But if revenue is your picture of success, you will pause. You will take a moment. You will look at the deals that are in the pipe right now and saying, for these 50 deals, what can I do? You will then say, oh, of these 50 deals, let me look at it. Oh, for these 50 deals, 10 of them are in Boston. Let me do an event in Boston, Mm -hmm. right? Like, so now you're thinking how do I drive business outcomes? Yeah. Uh, Maybe you're looking at that and saying, hey, we just created an ebook, but these are in financial services. Now let me create an ebook, take the same ebook, the generic one, turn that into a financial services oriented ebook and send that to those 10 accounts that are in pipeline. So now you're starting to create real value for the business and driving business outcomes. So the metric that I'm asking every CMO to start really focusing on, and that's something that I've learned to, unfortunately with therapy of 10 years or so, being the space is business outcomes. Everything you do is business
0: outcomes. All right, okay. So uh, when when you talk about vanity metrics, uh, you say you have to focus on business outcomes, right? Uh, Should marketers also own parts of customer success?
1: That's an interesting question uh, because you marketers by far are in a way the first touch point in almost all these different areas, marketing, sales, success, brand, all all that stuff. I don't think you need to, Mm -hmm. but what you do need to, and what I'm seeing through the whole account-based marketing lens is that. One of the greatest areas, and I'll give an example, Thomson Reuters, uh, you, you know, as you saw the book, you you know, probably that that's a story that I mentioned in the book.
0: Yeah. Thomson
1: Reuters, they essentially said, we are going to start working on expansion deals, right? So that's customer success arena. And that's a marketing team. Say so like, they, we have more than one products. We got to sell to them. We got to do something about it. So they started, and then by the way, that whole story came about when I was just interviewing uh, Jillian on a podcast and she told me the whole story. I'm like, oh my oh, goodness, is awesome. That turned into a book. So like really amazing how that came about. But she mentioned about like, hey, they picked up 250 accounts and said, these 250 accounts we're gonna start focusing on and try to create offerings with the other products that Thompson Reuters has. This, this is a gigantic company. Mm-hmm. Their win rate, was 95 percent with those accounts now you think about a company of Thomson reuters scale Mm -hmm. the deal sizes you're talking about millions and millions of dollars in revenue right Mm -hmm. and the only reason they were able to scale to 95 percent win rate was because they focused on the right accounts and that was marketing so if the color of the money is green or whatever the color is the same color for acquisition for pipeline for expansion i think marketing needs to really get out of the demand gen box, open the blinders and start looking at saying, all right, where can we drive revenue for the organization? A 10% increase in win rate for in the, within the pipeline, that might mean millions. That might mean you don't have to generate that many leads. That's why I keep talking about leads really is a virus in a way for organizations to, to kind of get out of. Because if you measure that, you'll never measure what's really impacts the business. You right. stop measuring that and start looking at how do i drive business outcomes that would mean customer meetings that would mean how do I stop uh, customers from churning increase retention how do i increase velocity how do i increase the size of the certain deals within that those are the metrics that are your ceo your cfo they would they did look at this every day but marketers are not looking at it if you start talking about them you will have a seat at the table
0: all right got it so talking about measuring metrics um, and becoming a modern CMO. So, where do you see the biggest uh, skill gap in marketing today, and how do you overcome that challenge?
1: Uh, uh, ultimate question on that one, right? I, I think one of the things when we were going back and forth on LinkedIn, I was talking about this idea like the CMO seems like a sexy title and for people want to have, but look at it, most CMOs are not in their jobs for more than two, three years. So, you know, yeah. what you wish for, you may not wish for. Yeah. So, just take that with a grain of salt. The most organizations cmos is not necessarily what they need in the early so for example if you're a startup organization listening to this you probably don't need a CMO. you pr- okay. until you hit like a 10 million in revenue unless like in my case we were like i was a co-founder so it, it I was just a title that i had so it didn't really matter um as a co-founder so but in, if you're not a founder of an organization uh, then you don't really need a CMO. That's too early, too much. There, they, that's not the role. What you need is a doer. You need a whole bunch of like, let's just get this thing running, up and running, up and running, like a lot of stuff. So if you, I, I constantly recommend and advise companies to like until 10 million, don't even think about a CMO. It's just okay. not right. Now within that, if if you are someone like you know, I would put myself in a category where I love to build categories. I like to build something that's not been done before. I'm not trying to go in the existing market and create I want to create a new market. Now that's a completely different breed of CMOs. That's mm-hmm. so I would be a very horrible CMO or a company that is like you know scaling super fast has like you know two billion in revenue. I'll be horrible unless they give me the wiggle room to just try crazy stuff. So I so I would be really good at an early stage startup company from 10 to 100 million but over a billion dollars or to over 500 million I, I may not be the right CMO so you need a CMO skill set talking about mm-hmm. that different skill set it's not the right CMO um, I have seen really good friends really amazing CMOs fail
0: mm-hmm.
1: because it wasn't they didn't have the team they didn't, they didn't have the infrastructure they didn't have the support and all that stuff so if you are someone who wants to be a CMO first Figure out if you really want to do that, look at the trajectory of that, right? The second is that the right industry and company you want to be in terms of revenue. Because mm-hmm. if, if you get in early and you 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 you're not someone who creates thrives on chaos, then early stage startup is gonna be really, really hard for you to be a CMF. Right. If you're someone who likes team building, like likes like making sure that there are a bunch of people doing whole other things. Uh, events at a massive scale and stuff, then maybe it's a bigger organization that you should go for. So the skill set, um, Sanjana, like really depends on the type of the size of the company and also the type of personality most people
0: have. Got it. Totally understand. Uh, so speaking of startups, uh, should a startup hire a specialist or uh, a generalist first?
1: Specialist all day long, like. All day long, like we have, like so we are, like I don't know if we can share. I think the last revenue numbers we shared was 25 million. So Terminus went from about three co-founders to now we are about 250 people. Um, our marketing team, we acquired two companies in the last uh, few yeah. years, Bright Funnel and Sixter. Um, so now our I think marketing team is about about 14 people or so,
0: okay. and
1: almost everyone is a specialist. All right. Marketing is the only function, by the way, this is something that is really interesting that has started to dawn on me is that marketing, and I wonder what your thoughts are on that, because I think marketing is the only function where you have a bunch of specialists, and you need them, right? Because you, it's not like a salesperson is meeting quota, okay, we need 20 of that person, like that kind of uh, background and stuff that doesn't work. Like somebody who's doing videos, good at videos, is probably not good at content. Somebody who's good at content, probably not good at uh, product marketing stuff, who's good at product marketing, is probably not good at events. And stuff. so you have a whole bunch of like, we have 14 specialists in the team. now a CMO, if you, that's a good news for CMO is because if you're not good at anything like me, you become a CMO because they don't know where to put you. Right? So, so that's what happens with people like me who are generalists who are not really great at anything people who are really, 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 really good at something, they have to really quickly figure out how do we hire someone and get others to do it. Otherwise they become the bottleneck for their own career.
0: All right, we also have a team of specialists here. We have like about uh, 10 people and each and every one of them is a specialist in uh, certain areas. Like We have a specialist for ABM, we have a specialist for events, uh, for influencer marketing, for uh, videos, Hmm. all this stuff. yeah, Yeah, We don't have a CMO. Yeah, We have a head of marketing.
1: Yeah, I mean, and, and to me, that's like you know, how big is your, I don't know if you, you don't have to share revenue and stuff, like how big is your like customer base? How big is like your market that you're going after?
0: Uh, we have uh, 5,000 customers with us. Yeah.
1: Okay, yeah. so you have a, it's pretty good size customer base. At this point, you know, depending on what your revenues and stuff like that, a head of marketing is probably like a CMO. Yeah, for all exactly. Purposes. So I think it's, it goes in the, in the same way. I think though, what's interesting. And I think this is where a lot of people are stuck
0: Mm.
1: in marketing. Now really talking about true empathy over here, right? This is like raw, real. Yeah. Most marketers are not ready and should never try to become a CMO. Okay. And the reason is that CMO means Mm
0: -hmm. that
1: you are constantly under fire or something.
0: Mm. So
1: if the revenue is going down, CMO gets a call. If retention is bad, CMO gets a call. Website branding, I mean, the reality is everybody in the company knows what marketing should do except the CMO apparently, right? Like that's really the thing. Everybody thinks they know marketing. So CMO is a really, really, really tough role to be in. And if you don't have a thick Mm -hmm. skin to adapt to all those things, if you are not great at relationships relationships Mm -hmm. with CFO and CRO, whatever your head of sales is Mm -hmm. and product, like it's a really really shitty job um, yeah. when it comes if you don't have that level of like support from all of it mm. on the other side
0: mm-hmm.
1: people who are special if you're really good at content if you're really good i mean there's no there's so much creativity for you to go and do and explore your craft and be the best person and the best version of yourself yeah. so I, I think i would i advise all the time to a lot of a lot of folks um that Think about it. Like, do you really want to be that just for the title? You actually could make more money and have more like happiness in your life. If you're the best at your craft um, in it. So, so choose wisely.
0: All right. So speaking of all this, uh, it brings to me uh, to my next question, which is companies at uh, different stages of their life cycle have different requirements. Uh, For example, an early stage venture might have a different set of requirements, whereas a a post IPO or a public company might have a different set of objectives, right? So is there a right type of CMO uh, based on the stage of the company?
1: Yeah, it's a different CMO altogether. It's a different CMO. Like if you think about our own, we have gone through like three. I mean, the reason I'm not a full-time CMO anymore is because I'm not right for our company to be a CMO. I'm better at being an evangelist. I love, Mm -hmm. my my heart is I wanna talk to customers every day. I love connecting with people. I love speaking, I love writing. So that's what I do, right? So I don't even talk about our product at all. I talk about company. I love the cult, building culture. So this is, this is where I, I I feel like I find more joy and passion and thankfully that's drives business for our company. So I get to do who I am. So if I were to hold on to the title and say, I just want to continue to be there. I think it will not one, not be the right thing for the business and two, it won't be the right thing for me. Mm -hmm. um at this stage of our company so we have gone through like two cmos uh, in our organization already and derek slayton is our cmo right now he was the cmo at dun and bradstreet that Mm -hmm. uh, net uh, net prospect that got acquired by dun and Bradstreet. he has taken companies from our size to 200 million and yeah so he knows this skill you need a completely different cmo at almost every stage, and that's no different for unless you can grow into it and and that's a different personality altogether but that's not just for CMOs, that's for CROs, that's for head of products. Very few companies have the same people at from zero to 10, 10 to 50, 50 to 100, 100 plus. It's a very different ballgame. Mm
0: -hmm. All right, so um, we'll uh, move on to ABM now. So one of the most asked questions when it comes to ABM is, what budget does an SMB need to start ABM? Is it suitable for companies of all sizes?
1: No. It's not good for all companies. Okay. Uh, I'll give you a great, a, an example. And it is it, actually totally independent of what size company you are actually mm-hmm. what I'm learning. What's important is to know what size is your customer's company. Okay. So mm-hmm. for example, uh, let's just take HubSpot as an example. Yeah. HubSpot is a great CRM. It's a public company, great size. One would think like they would be the perfect use case for ABM. Mm-hmm. not so much because 99% of their companies they sell to are SMB.
0: Yeah. correct.
1: So the deal size is really small for them. There's a volume mm-hmm. uh, growth company. So they, and, and, and they have a certain set of accounts that are big deals. And in that case, ABM makes perfect sense. So I would never look at HubSpot and say HubSpot should be our customer, even though they're investors in terms and all that stuff. I would say, well, HubSpot, is probably not the best customer. Or the ABM is not the best thing for them because they are transactional business. They have a mm. ton of small agencies and startups, and the agencies and how they run and stuff like that. So, that so it's not about the size of the company you're selling to. Is the size of the co- customers they are selling to. Okay. Um, so on the flip side of it, we have companies and agencies that are like you know 50 people agency, right? They are running incredible ABM campaigns because the deal size that they close are upwards of five hundred thousand or million dollars.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So to them, ABM is perfect use case because that's what they're doing. They're trying to surround everybody in the decision making process. That it's a longer sales cycle, the deal size is really big. They need to influence, they need to do all these things. So it's literally what that's the biggest aha moment. It's not your customer size, it's your customer's customer size that really okay. matters.
0: Got it. Okay, so for ABM to work, you say that marketing and sales team should work together. But in reality, marketing blames sales for lack of uh, uh, conversions, and sales blame marketing for the poor quality of leads. So how do you motivate both of these uh, teams to work together?
1: Marketing is wrong, <laughs> thousand percent. Marketing is wrong, and almost thousand percent. Here's the reason why. In your own org, you have a sales team.
0: Yeah, we have.
1: Right, and uh, and. If salespeople, it's the hardest job in the world. By the way, like yeah. you know, if you're a marketer, if you don't have empathy for sales, then you need to go and actually make hundred calls and have ninety times ninety of them actually hung up on you, and then it will build your character right. up.
0: Right.
1: Sales is the hardest job in yeah. the world. In, in when it comes to like technology part of it. So one, recognizing that.
0: Mm. Two,
1: as a mar- as a salesperson, you every single month, it starts at zero dollars. Mm.
0: Zero. Right
1: if you don't meet your quota in most organizations for about two months or three months at max, you're out. So what sales is challenged with is that they don't have the patience on working on a six month campaign and a lead Mm -hmm. that actually not in their quarter in that month. That so Mm -hmm. the reason I say marketing is wrong is because the value of marketing is defined by sales. That is number one thing I've said it and I get weary eye looks from everybody when I say that, because I'm like, look, I'm a marketer, you know, just therapy, but it's truth because tell me in a, in your organization, when the revenue goes up, does marketing get more budget? Typically? Yes. Oh yes. We get it. Yeah. If, (laughs) and now, now tell me this, if your sales number goes down, would marketing get more budget? No, right. Right. So it's tied to marketing and sales is tied to the hip. So you like it or not, this is not a conversation of philosophical conversation. No, nada. It is hundred percent a conversation of truth. The truth is marketing and sales are tied to the hip if you're in B2B and it's one line item in most financial statements. So if, if you're tied to the hip, your job as a marketer, everyone who's listening to it, your job as a marketer is to either incrementally or exponentially grow sales period. And if your sales team is not happy with you, you're not doing something right. So the way to go about all that is that, and, I, and I've and shared some of these things in other videos, is go and find the two salespeople that you're buddies with, that mm-hmm. you go to drinks with or happy hour with and whatever, and help them be wildly successful that month or that quarter. And the way you do that is simply this. You literally go and say, all right, Joe and Sally, give me the list of accounts that you need to close this month to meet your quota or this quarter to meet your quota. They already know that. They Mm -hmm. already know that. And and a sidebar on that, the reason account-based marketing became such a big deal, it's not for sales. It is for marketers to learn how to do it. Salespeople's title has always been account executive. They always got it. Marketing. We never got it. We gave them leads and they're like, dude, you haven't seen, I have an account to work on. So back to this is, if you help Joe and Sally, like give me the 10 or whatever number of accounts you have, that's gonna help you win and meet your quota, exceed your quota this month, this quarter. You ask them, they will give you that list. No questions asked. Then you generate leads within those accounts. Then you do all those things that we talked about, webinars for those accounts, very specific. Then you go create ebooks for those accounts, then you do direct mail, then you do field marketing events for those accounts they make them super widely successful. They will go tell the entire organization that, Oh, Sanjana just made me super excited, super awesome because of her. I met met my quota and stuff. They're going to do everything possible to support you. And they're going to tell to the entire organization and the entire CEO is going to come to you and say, Sanjana, can you do this for my entire sales team? Mm -hmm. And that's a beautiful conversation to have right at that time, because they're like, I just need more budget. Instead, I think what we do is we throw a bunch of leads from all of the places. So for example, if you send all the leads from this webinar to the team without looking at how many of these are actually going to, are in their accounts. And if say zero people listening to this webinar are part of the deals that are in flight for your organization, you're Mm -hmm. wasting their time. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It's not, they're not supposed to get those leads then. Yeah. so the idea would be like how can you get the leads in those accounts if leads is one of the metric for you that they want to close that month that quarter that is why so it's not it's not who's right who's wrong you know mm. marketers have to do this otherwise i don't know why you want to be a marketer in b2b
0: yeah i've read your book uh some is abms b2b so it was brilliant and in fact uh, we use it as a reference guide at, as we are starting our abm process now uh, all right so, that's awesome thank you yeah so on that note, uh, we're shipping out free copies of Sangram's book, ABMS B2B. Uh, I would say it's a must read for a marketer. Uh, and Sangram, one of the registrants uh, to whom we shipped the book said, he'll do a video review once he's done reading.
1: Oh, boom. Like, <laughs> I thank you so much because I've been like really direct because I'm like, how does this work? And people said, you gotta be shameless at asking for reviews because that's how Amazon knows how to recommend to other marketers. So yeah. I've been like, If you like it, really, then please give it a review on Amazon because that's how it goes.
0: Yeah, right. All right, so uh, one last question uh, for for ABM. Uh, So what are the key ABM findings for CMOS to consider? Uh, uh,
1: One, I I think one of the things I didn't answer uh, part of it is one of those findings is that your budget, if you're doing ABM, most people think this is gonna take more time, so more money and all that stuff. Actually, what I've seen with companies we're doing thousand one-to-one campaigns, and when I say one-to-one, I mean one ad to one landing page, one type of direct mail to right. different personas within. Like it's literally one-to-one kind of thing. In those cases, even in those cases, the budget has actually gone down, if not stayed the same. And if you really think about it, it, it makes sense. It, it for 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 me in the early days, it kind of threw me for a loop, but it actually makes sense. So instead of getting less than one percent of the leads turning into customers instead of getting thousand leads and get into like, you know, maybe 10 customers instead of doing that. If you change the math and saying instead of thousand, now you're going after hundred and
0: okay. you're,
1: you're, and you're converting them at like 25, 30, 40% because you're doing all these levels of personalization with them. You know yeah. why you're going after, right? You're so you're going to have, so you literally cut your budget from that to that to half. And then within that, no matter how much personalization you do, like it doesn't, it's not going to cost you an arm and a leg because mm-hmm. you're not going after volume. So my big finding has been, if you're actually truly doing ABM, you, your budget might actually seem like it's you're using less money and more creativity. Right. So it's really interesting.
0: All right. So uh, we'll move on to category creation. Uh, so if uh, category creation done right, it can be rewarding. And in fact, it can be the ultimate growth uh, strategy, right? So how to know if uh, category creation is the right strategy for your business? And how does one go about creating a category?
1: It's a big question, Sanjana, right? Like that is one area I love, I love, I live and breathe in that. I think yeah. that's one conversation I have with more founders in the last year than, than anything.
0: Mm-hmm. One,
1: it's hard and stupid to do that. Like, don't do it if you can't, because it's really hard. We've done it and we realize yeah. it. Uh, but if you can't help yourself like we did, then go do it because it's a lot of fun at the end of the day yeah. when you're on the other side of it. Uh, uh, for us, I'll uh, tell our story and through that, hopefully people can draw parallels to it. When we came on the scene in 2015,
0: mm-hmm.
1: we there wasn't anybody talking about account-based marketing. Yeah. even the thought of accountless marketing was novel, like nobody yeah. really thought. And we're based in Atlanta. We didn't have a whole bunch of money. We were literally like across the street from here where we are now, we had like one desk and okay. we were sharing that like three of the founders, right? And I used to always sit outside, like just, that's what I did. So that's how we started in the early days. And what we saw was there are over five, 8,000 companies in MarTech, and there's no way we can rise above them that have $100 million plus funding makes no sense Mm but just not so our view was that we need to build something as we build the product we need to create make noise and the way to create noise is to identify if there is a category of yourself there is a name that you can give it that people would like stop and pause and say what's that right like that's really good we're trying to interrupt the the entire noise in the martech space and we were fortunate enough to identify this very specific thing. Like, man, if we actually go after accounts as opposed to leads, it will change the way companies do business. That became the theme. So we literally started creating. Um, like, I, I mean, in our case, I wanted to do a terminus event. Nobody would sponsor because nobody would, nobody knew us. So I said, what if you bought? I bought a domain for eight bucks called Flip My Funnel and said, hey, what about Flip My Funnel? Everybody said yes. Crazy as it sounds, people want to be part of a community. People want to be part of a movement. They don't want to be part of a product company. So still today, they've done 10 conferences, but Terminus is a booth just like everybody else. Um, my keynote does not is not about uh, Terminus. It's about the state of marketing and state of sales and where it's going. So all that to say is every, when you think about category building, you have to first identify, is somebody working on it? And there's no category of one. Okay. So if you were to build a category, you have to uplift all the other competitors. And that that might sound crazy. So we invited Engageo, Demandbase, all of them. We gave them main main stage level speaking spots at our conference because we needed to make sure that the category existed. That brought in, because we brought in competitors, it brought in media because they wanted to, wait a minute, what's going on? Because media came in, it became an industry event now now it's an industry event now there's a lot more buzz about it so we literally took the gospel of abm and went to different cities all over it with the same set of characters of competitors influencers and media people Mm
0: -hmm. in atlanta
1: boston chicago san francisco all these different places so bottom line couple of things one it's extremely hard to do and if you do it you have to be very authentic. Uh, about it and you have to make it community oriented, which is something I say without a community, you're simply a commodity, right? Yes. So building a community is a big part of it. You think about Dreamforce, uh, Salesforce created Dreamforce, HubSpot yeah. created inbound, mm-hmm. Drift created hypergrowth, uh, uh, Gainside created pulse, Terminus, mm-hmm. so you can literally start seeing the parallels. Like these are the six categories that have been created in the last 15 years. Yeah. So. Building a community is a big part of creating a category. That's one. And number two, because there's no category of one, you have to figure out a way to bring in competitors. You have to lift them up, which is a really hard thing to do and to kind of think about to do. We literally even brought in somebody from Scotland who was doing something like, no, you do ABM. You don't know yet, but you do. And we brought them to come speak because we wanted this to be such a big phenomenon that people would talk about it. So category building is hard, no category of one. So you need to bring bring, your, bring all of your competitors and then create a community that will allow you to get that message out in the world. So those are the kind of the couple of things to think about.
0: Okay, uh, so, uh, Sandram, I see a lot of questions from the audience. Uh, can I just quickly ask one by one? Yep. So uh, the first question is from Karthik. Uh, he's, he's asking, what are the first 30, 60, 90 day activities every new CMO should focus and specifically uh, while looking, uh, implementing and one too many ABM, how important is cost to revenue asymmetric?
1: All right, so the first part, I would scrap the 30, 60, 90 day plan all together and create a one word camp like program, which is customer. Mm-hmm. Learn about your customer, go to site visits, spend as much time as you can, especially in the first 30 days with customers where you get to know them, see them. We started a program here called customer in flesh, which okay. means every six weeks I bring in a customer, fly them in red carpet. So, and do an all hands with them, with the entire company where the entire company gets to see who the customer is, yeah. what they care about, who they look like, what they talk about, what matters to them. So customer, 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 like if you make that your focus, you'll do really good as a CMO or any job. It really mm-hmm. doesn't matter. What is the second question on that?
0: um while looking at implementing one-to-many abm uh, how important is cost to revenue asymmetric
1: if you are truly doing abm uh, regardless of one-to-one or one-to-many your cost of um, your cost of acquisition will go up but your cost to revenue will go down so think about it this way when you get leads today you just say give me leads that are interested in this thing and they're like 30 bucks, 50 bucks, 80 bucks, but you get thousands of them. So your cost of acquisition is lower. In this, in ABM, because you're gonna go not after thousand, you're gonna go after 50 or 100, your cost of acquisition, because you need to figure out if they have the right intent data, do you have the right, uh, right account, do you have the right people in those accounts? So your cost of acquisition might go up, but because your cost to revenue, because your conversion rate from that customer to actually truly becoming a customer is gonna be much higher your cost of re- the revenue is going to be so much more, more, more better. So I would look at it from that perspective. Your cost of acquisition for sure will go up.
0: Question is from Avinash. It's asking, as you just said, leads is a false positive. Your advice to demand gen agencies and companies who are in lead gen business, who solve top of the funnel. And in some cases, even lead nurturing qualification challenges for CMO organizations. Yeah,
1: I, I think it's a, uh, it's, it is a it is a very negative thing for organizations just the stat itself should tell us that there is something wrong with it so is the lead by itself wrong no the lead word is wrong every person who attends this webinar is not a lead for 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 your business so what we, the mistake most companies have done is taken every single person and dumped them into the same bucket and and mixed it up with everything they got and said here it is salesperson and that's why salespersons don't work on them because not everybody's qualified, right? So a lead, the word is wrong. Lead generation doesn't mean an actual lead. An actual lead, if you really go back to the definition to thesaurus on that one, lead is someone you think that there's a potential for this person to buy from you. They are qualified, use the band criteria, all those kind of things, right? So if you don't have that, then you're literally setting your organization for failure. There are like, I think the stats on that is like, horrific on the amount of money organizations waste on disqualifying leads is ridiculous. Disqualifying, not qualifying, disqualifying because they're not the right thing. So imagine this, you do this, let's just say this webinar, you get a lead. They're not the right lead for your business, but you still give it to your sales team. The sales team takes the time, does seven, eight, nine touches. Now they have spent two weeks on that particular set of people, they're not the right people. Then they look at then there's a pipeline meeting, there's a revenue meeting, there's follow up, maybe you do direct mail, all you do all these things, you have wasted the time and money and energy and resources to drive business. So that is really the the reason why lead generation is bad. Now if you do lead generation in the right accounts mm-hmm. that matter that's a really, I think lead generation business. If I were in a lead generation business today, I would change that and say lead generation in accounts that matter to you. That's the business I'll be in. All right. Uh,
0: so Samir uh, says, uh, you can see his review on Amazon for your book. Say again? Uh, Samir here says that yeah. he has reviewed your book. on. on oh,
1: thank Amazon. you so much. Really, really appreciate that. That's good. It, it, it's It's been a good good work. That is one of the areas, like I never thought I would say this, but I'm really proud of the work that went into the book. And there were so many people that are involved in it. So I, I hope it brings joy and excitement to people on that.
0: All right. Uh, so next question is from Matt. Uh, he's asking, how do you think about communicating the importance of marketing activities that don't result in a lead? For instance, uh, saturating a target account with native video content.
1: For a target account? Hmm and yeah.
0: saturating a target account with native video content i don't
1: know if you can truly do that because when you when i think about an account there's not one person in that account an account by definition means that there are multiple people in that account so you are if a true account is marketing would mean different personas within that account is now getting different messages through your video content or advertising or direct or whatever. So for example, let's say you're selling IT services to a company, right? Our IT product. Your IT people might be interested in knowing that this is a really, really good product and they might be interested in the bits and, and feeds and all that information. So your message to them is different your CFO is probably going to care about how oh, are they in the Gartner magic Quadrant? So it is, it, that's a different message to them, right? There's a video conf- uh, video or anything you do will be different. Your CEO might want to know that, Oh my goodness, all of our competitors are using them. They must be good. Like I want to get more information. So if you're truly doing ABM, you would make sure that different personas are getting different messages with different ideas about the same product and you will talk to them much differently. Uh, on that process. So I don't know if you can truly saturate I can because today, I don't know if many companies are doing it.
0: All right. So the next question is by Arun. Uh, is I, ABM ideal for a startup with no sales teams?
1: Hey Arun. Um, I think, by the way, that's my dad's name too. So that's a, that's a, that's a cool name. Um, and so uh, I think the, if I don't, I don't know many organizations that have marketing and no sales in a B2B space because Mm -hmm. your job is to incremental exponentially sales. So I'm thinking that you're probably are still in the early stage trying to create product market fit, Mm -hmm. or you're probably your deal size are not that big. So if any of those are true, it's, this is a, this is a different play for you because you're not, I don't know if, I don't think ABM is right now the best thing because ABM is like, you gotta know your target audience like really good. Um, and you got to know what the sales cycle look like for it. You have to know that these are the right customers, you can serve the best, and they will be benefited from it. If the answers to any of those questions is no, then it's not right for you. You need to figure out the market first before you can actually spend so much more time on it. Uh,
0: So next question is by Naveen. Uh, Which medium works better in ABM? Is it sales navigator, webinars, seminars?
1: Mm, That's a great question. Uh, What's the name? Naveen? Naveen. Naveen. mean, um, hey Naveen, the, the, uh, Tory who runs our ABM program, he actually educated me on this a few weeks ago. I always thought that the more you do, the better it is with the same account. And as he is in the weeds running the program, I'm just the talker. He's the one who actually is doing like real programs and ABM hundreds and hundreds of calculations and all that stuff. Incredible guy, Tory die. If you want to follow him on LinkedIn, okay. he, Um, What he educated me as he ran programs was like, it it really doesn't matter. It's literally, you could do whatever you're good at and you should Mm -hmm. focus on that. Not every company is good at events, not every company is good at webinars and that kind of stuff. So you should do what you're really good at. But he said, what we do and what has worked now has been, let's say you're going after manufacturing Mm vertical. You start running ads because typically ads are super cheap because if you have a target list of accounts and going after it. And if you're doing that and you can do it on Google and LinkedIn and Facebook or, you know, use term is all those kind of things. When you do that, and if you start engagement, let's say you're going after 50 accounts and let's say you start seeing 10 of them showing signals that they're interested in it by clicking the ad or engaging or coming to your website. And you should be able to see all those with all the tech out there. Then for the 10 accounts, you start adding different layers. So beyond advertising, you change the advertising, but now you can have the salespeople start calling these accounts because they have shown interest in it. You can also start doing doing maybe based on where they are, eBooks and webinars and whatnot. Within those 10 accounts, let's say five are further showing more interest. Now you actually start doing in addition, direct mail and stuff because it makes sense to now spend more money and time with those because they have self-identified in that journey. So if you all believe that 70 to 90% of the journey that companies, they do, it's online and people are already taking it before they talk to your salesperson. Then I think as a marketer, our job is in that journey to increase the level of engagement as they as they come closer to actually having a conversation with you. So it's not one thing that, is, that we have found that works better. Okay. It's always as they come closer and they get to know you more, you actually start spending more on them, which yeah. is one of the reasons we have in the book is like, Some accounts, you have to treat them with champagne and others sparkling water. Not all accounts are the same. If you did everything for every account, there is no unique proposition for them.
0: All right. So Naveen has one more question. How effective ABM will be when it comes to marketing IT security tools?
1: Depends on the same three questions. What is your deal size? How many people are in the process? And what does your sales cycle look like in terms of time frame? So if all of those are like, hey, our deal size is big, at least $50,000 or more, um, or, or if the sales cycle is like three to six months or more, uh, if any of those answers are still true, then it, it actually doesn't really matter what feel are you're talking about.
0: Okay, uh, the next question is from Anand. Uh, what's the cheapest way to get intent data besides ad campaigns or content marketing?
1: Hey Anand, um, I think, um, I think we, we use Bambara data to be like straight up and sharing. We found that their data is the best data that we have got. Um, we also did partnership with G2. G2 started to do intent data. G2 is really, really phenomenal, I love that. Um, because that's like, if somebody's looking at your grid and figuring out is your product right or not, they are ready to buy from you or your competitor. You need to be on them. So G2 intent is getting really good. Bambora intent is really good. We use both of them internally and for our customers, we recommend that. So that's that's where the technology is right now.
0: All right, uh, next is from Shruti. Can you share examples of ABM campaigns that have impacted the pipeline in the same month?
1: Examples, well, I'll give you example of, uh, let's say, we talked about Thomson Reuters. Um, I, it happens for us, our, actually, just to talk about terminus, 40%, if I'm not mistaken, might be off by a few percentage point, 40% of the deals that we close within the quarter are sourced within the quarter if that makes sense. So like, because we have such a high level of personalization, we know at least 40% literally are gonna close within the quarter that we are sourcing within the quarter. Uh, companies like Masergy and Primata, both of them are mentioned in the company in the book, they are all running very targeted campaigns. And actually in Primata's case, you might remember this you know, from the book, mm-hmm. their traffic actually dropped by 70% when they started mm-hmm. doing ABM. Mm-hmm. And the reason it dropped is because they were not getting bad traffic anymore. They only were getting traffic from the right accounts. So their pipeline and revenue increased within month, within quarter, but their overall traffic actually went down, it goes back to the vanity metrics, leads and traffic to the website. Those things are not necessarily going to drive business. What's going to drive business is actual business outcomes on it. So I think majority, if I think about Mesergy, Primata, all these companies, Terminus ourselves, are actually seeing more in quarter deals because of the level of personalization they're doing. All right.
0: Uh, again from Shruti, it's, uh, can you share some benchmarks of a good and poor performing ABM program? Good All and
1: right. poor. Hey, good and poor. All right, hey, Shruti. Um, in, in a good, I think we just share like in a good, uh, another would be like, you know, Snowflake. We talked about that and it's in the book as well, which we yeah. is, one-to-one, they. I think they are like the best campaign that I've ever seen. If you wanna really look at where an organization could be a year or two years from now, not today. If you're starting today, don't don't think you could do that because that would like make you like, your mind might blow up, right? Like it's not something to, but it's a really inspiring one because they're literally doing one-to-one campaign, one ad, one message, different personas, one landing page, nothing to fill out there because they already know who's coming to the website to that landing page or the right people from the right accounts, then retargeting to them, direct mail to them, video to them. So they're doing everything for that account because it's a million dollar account, right? So best in class, I've seen that. Worst, oh gosh, I think all over the place. One, I, we, I'm a big fan of this framework. Uh, again, it's, it's it's something that we talk about all the time, which is the team framework. Yeah. Target, engage, activate, measure. T-E-A-M, mm-hmm. target, engage, activate and measure. The worst performing ABM companies are who actually skip a step in this process. Okay. If you don't know who you're going after, the rest doesn't matter how good your marketing is. So a lot of times that's where majority of the companies do. We're throwing all these amazing activities out there, but it's not reaching to the right people. So it's waste. That's why the less than 1% stat exists. So figure out the target list of it. The worst thing, we did mistake that we did at terminus when we started doing ABM marketing came up with a list. Guess what? No buying from sales. Sales did not follow up. Nothing happened. All mm-hmm. right. We said, all right, fine. Sales, you come up with the list. Failed. Why? Because sales said we want to close Nike and Adidas. We're like, they're not even in our TAM. Like it makes no sense. Failed. Third time we actually sat down in a room like a team, like adults should like, you know, not like kids, adults should and actually came up with the list together. And when that target list was clear, everybody was on on it, right? Whenever there was engagement from any of the target account, marketing alerted sales, sales was all over it. So target list, number one, if they don't do, companies don't do that, massive fail. Engage, engage people on their terms. Like we talked about the Tory example, your engagement level increase as the deal gets closer to the finish line, activate. Activating your sales team is by far the most important thing. If you don't do that, Um, magically deals are not gonna happen. So sales team activation where you alert them for every account, every deal that's going on because you know and agree on that. And then measure, which is really, now you're not measuring leads, you're measuring lead in an account, engagement in an account. Imagine going to Joe and Sally and saying, hey, your three accounts, they're all on fire right now. They have engagement, they will be all over it.
0: Yeah, good. So one last question from me. Um, What do you think the future of marketing is gonna look like?
1: Oh, I was, I was literally working this morning on a, on a new talk track and I'm calling it marketing focused business outcomes. Okay. So it, I, I really think the future, and we all are at the, the forefront of it, everybody listening to it, I think they're here. And so I'm assuming that you all are at the forefront of trying to figure out and be the best marketer you can. And in that sense, I think I can, I love to challenge everybody to think about what are your business outcomes? What does that look like? So if you're a demand generation person, don't hide behind leads and traffic. Look at appointments and say, my metric is number of appointments for sales things, right? That changes the game. It will change the way you think about it. Don't hide behind. If you're a social SEO kind of person, don't look at how many impressions you're getting on, on that kind of stuff. Look at of all the people which your team did a fantastic job of reaching out and engaging with the right people on LinkedIn and all these people and saying we are creating opportunities out of it. Uh, let's say you are a a product marketing person or something listening to this great customer stories that real authentic raw bring customers in the office show the tell organization what it looks like talk about their stories not your story be the guide so i think there is a opportunity for all of us to think about business outcomes no matter what role we play in marketing today all
0: right we got one more question from shruti uh, what is your favorite abm framework outside terminus
1: <laughs> uh, I mean I, I mean if there was, I would have put it in uh, the team framework is truly truly my 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 favorite one. But if I was just talking about just frameworks, I'll just go off the rails on this one not ABM framework per se because that oh let me just answer it that quickly. Um, ABM framework, I think team is really a good framework because it it gets people to work as a team. The other one is uh, something that we have talked about with Peter when he was the CMO here, he talked about fit intent and engagement. Fit intent and engagement. Find the right accounts that are fit, find if they have intent and start engaging with them. So I think both of those frameworks are really, really inspiring. But outside of ABM framework, I like I posted something on LinkedIn yesterday that we all think our world is like hard work. Like we gotta just work grind every single day to make things work. But the reality is it's actually a whole bunch of things. So check out that post because it, I think it identifies the challenge for us as marketers. If you think your whole world is about leads or whole world is about, no, you're doing events, you're doing direct mail, you're doing advertising, you're doing all these things. But if it's not pulled together as a strategy, you're gonna fail. So think about all of this, the hub and spoke model is really what what we need to do as marketers. All
0: right, so uh, thanks Sangram. We have reached the end of the webinar. Uh, Let's do a quick rapid fire before we end. All right. Okay, so the first question is, what would have been your alternate career if you hadn't come into marketing?
1: Oh, I don't, I think I'll be a professor somewhere. My dad and dad was a professor. My my grandparents were teachers, school teachers. So. Uh, I think I still have, I feel like I want to go back to go into teaching at some point.
0: All right. Uh, And whose content do you follow on LinkedIn?
1: Uh, On LinkedIn, uh, Morgan J. Ingram. He does a really good job of great content, very authentic uh, content. You do a good job, Sanjan. If people are not following you, they should follow you um, as well. Um, There is um, Marcus Sheradian. He does a good job. um, And also... Uh, I would say, um, Anne Hanley from Marketing yeah. Profs. She does a good job.
0: All right, uh, and what are your hobbies?
1: I love tennis, so I play oh. tennis quite a bit. I got two kids, so that keeps me busy. Krish and Kiara, like Krish is nine, my daughter Kiara is five. Um, so they keep me pretty busy and active. But other than that, like really like playing tennis, if I can get out and just swing a couple of balls, I feel good.
0: And I also read somewhere that you uh, play guitar
1: yeah, I, like, man, I used to play guitar uh, when I was back in India for like five, seven years, like okay. n- like two, three hours a day. Um, and now that my son Krish isn't in piano, uh, okay. he and I, are we're trying to jam together. So it's fun to actually play alongside with him. So I'm trying to get my rusty skills back in shape uh, because he's really starting to get good at, at piano. Okay.
0: Uh, last question is, uh, what is your daily routine? like? Uh, could you take us through a day in the life of
1: Sangram? Uh, it's not standard. No idea. Um, it's, but what, what I try to do is that I control what I can and then I don't worry about the rest. So the first five hours of my day is what I try to control from 5 a.m. to like 9 or 10 a.m. Um, that is where I try not to have meetings. Um, either I'm dropping kids, I'm working on the stuff that I want to work. Uh, I'm, I'm not doing anything other than that, like what I want to do. If I can control like workout, all those things. Mm-hmm. If I can control the first five hours of my morning, then I feel the rest of the day. I'm not worried too much about it. But the day that is not in control, I feel like it's a uh, not not so pleasant, happy sangram that day. All right. Oh,
0: and also, you write uh, journals, right?
1: Yeah, I, like Krish and I, we both, my son and I, we do journal uh, almost three to four nights a day. Uh, together uh, and I have a framework that we follow and we do that together so that's something that I absolutely writing is some writing is, has become a passion for mm-hmm. me in the last two three years um, that that you know we'll see where that takes me
0: all right um, I think that's it so is there anything else you would like to add apart from the questions that we discussed
1: no i think i think you hit a lot of great questions i appreciate yeah. everybody jumping in and stuff uh, and if there's any feedback or questions we did not address or go deeper into like hit me on linkedin uh, because that's where i am yeah. um a lot i'm not i'm not in majority of the other social i don't have an account on facebook or um or uh, instagram or whatever like so linkedin is where i love so if you have questions comments um i love to help and support
0: all right. So thanks a lot, Sanjana, for doing this webinar with us. Uh, I'm sure the audience loved it and found it uh, valuable. Uh, we'll keep this connection going. Uh, we'll send the webinar recording to all the attendees uh, so you can listen to it again and take notes and share it with your team. All right. Uh, thanks a lot.
1: Thank you so much, everybody. Really, really appreciate it. And thanks, Sanjana, for, for being here.
0: Thanks a, great a lot. Host. Thanks a lot. Stay tuned to our weekly upcoming episode with more sales and marketing leaders from around the globe. We are on Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and more. Subscribe to get notified when a new episode is out. Also, please leave us a review if you're on Apple. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.